back. We were talking a little bit about politics in our first segment. Let's do a little bit more of that. You may have noticed that the uh, nation's high court has backed Monsanto in a patent case that, that should be sending chills up a lot of our spines collectively, I think. Apparently, the justices unanimously rejected a farmer's argument that cheap soybeans he bought from a grain elevator are not covered by the Monsanto patents, even if, though apparently most of them were genetically modified to resist Roundup. In this case, however, the ruling was quite narrow. Justice Elena Kagan said that, uh, that, that the case only addressed the situation before us. Curious sidelight to this case, uh, Chief Justice Clarence Thomas used to be a lawyer for Monsanto, and he neglected to recuse himself, feeling, I guess, that the fact that he used to be a lawyer for the company in question didn't provide him with any conflict of interest. You know, a lot of people are just getting frustrated with our political system, um, which, frankly, has probably never worked as well as we'd like to think it has. Let's face it, the machinery of government, all the wheels, levers, pulleys, etc., are basically being uh, thrown and turned and adjusted by a couple of private organizations known as political parties. Sort of a disconcerting piece by Michael Doyle and David Lightman from McClatchy, News, from McClatchy Newspapers about uh, House Majority Whip Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, the whip is the guy in the party who's supposed to whip members into doing what the particular Politburo of the, of the party tells them they ought to do. So much for electing individuals that represent the people or congressmen that use their own judgment. Peace notes that the party whips are an insider's job, sometimes held by famously aggressive lawmakers like California Democrat Tony Coelho, a distant cousin of this correspondent, I believe, and uh, Texas Republican Tom DeLay. Article notes, in the past, it's always carried at least an implied blend of menace and reward. But they quote Representative Devin Nunes from Visalia saying, it's never as portrayed in the movies. And uh, speaking about politics, let's talk a little more about water, which in California is the same thing as talking about politics. We complimented the Sacramento Bee's editorial board, as we've comp- complimented in the past Sacramento News and Review, for their, uh, their following the story on the water grab taking place in California. But uh, we think nobody sums it up better than Bert Wilson. We'll quote from his letter to the Bee from a few days back, who noted... Regarding if BDCP were science-based, Delta flows would be a priority. And BDCP is the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. Said Bert, congratulations to the Bee's editorial board for its recognition of the importance of Delta flows. There is proof to back this up. From From 2000 to 2006, the Department of Water Resources increased Delta water diversions to the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California from 700,000 acre-feet to 1.4 million acre-feet. This was to quietly make up for the district's loss of Colorado River water. The increased outflows just about killed the salmon fisheries. It took a federal judge to stop it and limit future water diversions. With more water remaining in the Delta, the salmon fisheries rebounded and last year was the best in ages. We do have to agree with Bert Wilson. If you want to have fish, you need to have water in the river. But oddly enough, sounding a dissonant note somewhat to this line of reasoning was a California Forum piece in the Bee by William Stelly Jr., described as the West Coast Salmon Coordinator 
for the National Oceanographic and Atmosphere Administration's National Marine Fisheries Service. This apparently is one of these put oil on the troubled waters type editorial. Its headline was, Delta Plan Still Evolving as More is Learned. Mr. Stelly does note that salmon are an iconic species in California, vital to the economy of many coastal communities. But the status quo for these fish in the Delta is deadly. 60% of the juvenile Sacramento River salmon and 95% of the juvenile San Joaquin River salmon entering the Delta don't make it out alive. He notes these are dismal numbers, especially when we're trying to rebuild salmon populations and restore the health of the Delta ecosystem. But then he adds that the National Marine Fisheries Service is deeply engaged in providing technical assistance in the development of the Bay Delta Conservation Plan and believes that the core tenets are grounded in good science. Redoing the basic plumbing is necessary to avoid a disastrous collapse of the existing system when the next catastrophe hits and thus to secure a reliable water delivery system for the next generation. That makes sense to you? Yeah, me neither. He goes on, placing new water intakes, that means the big sumps where they stick in and suck water out, in the North Delta, in an area with dominant downstream flows, is essential for new fish screens to operate correctly and keep salmon on their natural downstream migration. He goes on later, the problems facing the Delta are multifaceted and so must be the solutions. The plan must include new Delta plumbing, new water operations and restored habitats, and reduced predation and invasive species. Yeah, but Mr. Stelly, is the federal government aware of the fact that if if you take water out of the river, the salmon won't do well? I mean, that's the part we keep coming back to. All these uh, water contractors from Southern California like to talk about habitat restoration, as we mentioned in last week's program, but you know, it's really all about the water. Also signing off on that editorial from the Bee was Yolanda Long from Discovery Bay who said in response to the Bee's editorial, though Governor Jerry Brown's scientific advisors report this will have a serious impact on the environment, referring to the Twin Tunnels, he plans to build now and solve the environmental issues later. BDCP is being fast-tracked without input from the five Delta counties, Contra Costa, Solano, San Joaquin, Yolo, and Sacramento, which are working together to battle this project. Southern California has larger representation than the legislature, so elected officials need to hear concerns from all residents. Delta health and quality are important. It's our backyard. Residents can sign a Save the California Delta petition at www.nodeltagates.com. I'm sure some of you are going to want to do that. And if that isn't bad enough, it turns out that the California State Water Project, which is currently part of the two programs that send water from Northern California to Southern. The other is the federal program to do this. Apparently don't pay their workers enough, so they don't have enough people to run the hydroelectric generating plants, pumping plants, reservoirs, and aqueducts. Notes a piece by John Ortiz at uh, sacb.com and also appeared in print. Officials at Governor Jerry Brown's Department of Water Resources declined to be interviewed for this story about the lack of water staffers but referred to the water project staffing shortage as a crisis that threatens to interrupt the system's reliability and creating numerous negative impacts in the statewide water system. This is the same system I think they want to, Jerry Brown wants to stick more tunnels in and put more water in, one they can't operate now. If that isn't bad enough, article by Curtis Tate from the McClatchy Washington Bureau notes that our flood protection 
has stalled. Apparently, the Water Resources Development Act, co-sponsored by Barbara Boxer and David Vitter, a Louisiana Republican, would authorize funding for the Army Corps of Engineers to uh, basically build more dams, levees, ports, and inland waterways, and supposedly offer coastal protection and restoration. By the way, if you ever want to see a prime example of the Army Corps of Engineers at work, when you're in the Fremont area, check out what they did to Alameda Creek 40 years ago. 40 years on, it's still pretty ghastly. Apparently in this $12.5 billion bill, $900 million has been set aside to finish uh, improving the Natomas levees, which uh, were alleged to have 200-year flood protection a couple decades ago, which then allowed the massive expansion of urban sprawl in the Natomas Basin, which unfortunately, because they weren't correct about this flood control level of the current levees, means that Natomas is now, I think, the second greatest flood risk area in the U.S. after New Orleans. We know what happened there during Hurricane Katrina. Anyway, I'm going to take a break from talking about politics and see if we can't return to singing some, some songs about politics. So you want to attempt to become tax-exempt you will soon learn the government's game. You will have to address a huge paperwork mess if tea parties are part of your name. No deducting your tinfoil headwear cause you think they are out to get you. Cause the IRS has groups they repress It's not paranoid when it's true Returning to the program, and we had her on some weeks back to talk about their upcoming show here in Sacramento, was Elena Newport, one of the founding members of the Capitol Steps. And I just thought uh, that we need to cover, come back and talk about a little bit more about what they do because it's just so damn funny. Welcome back, Elena. Well, glad to be back. <laughs> Very rarely do we get invited back anywhere, so this is nice. <laughs> so uh, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about the fact that uh, there's sort of a misconception that you guys are, are, are staffers, and you did originally start out to be staffers, but uh, you've added quite a few professional uh, singers, and I guess piano players, since the early days. Well, we did start out, yes, we started out as a group of Senate staffers. It was back in 1981, and um, I think we talked earlier about our story a little bit, but I don't think I told you the actual reason that we did this. We were um, trying to entertain for an office Christmas party on Capitol Hill. Okay. And we wanted to do this traditional nativity play, but we couldn't find three wise men or a virgin <laughs> because we were on Capitol Hill. Boom. So we actually ended up making fun of our boss and politics and thought we would get fired or told to stop or both, <laughs> but we never did, and now 30 years later, the Capitol Steps are still going. Well, you made mention last time we talked about the fact that your boss at that time was Senator Charles Percy, a uh, senator from Illinois, very well regarded by most Americans, but uh, and, and often mentioned on the short list of people that should run for president because he was kind of a, kind of a handsome dog. But that never really that never really happened. But, uh, but uh, boy, how different politics might have been if your boss had gotten a little bit further down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because he was a moderate, and I kind of consider myself an extreme moderate. Okay. <laughs> you know, people laugh when I say that, but it, it's true. There's very few extreme moderates anymore. And uh, so I guess he couldn't get elected today either, which is unfortunate, but he was one of the good guys. Yeah, and I guess that uh, your group, uh, it tries to be equal opportunity offenders. You certainly go after both sides of the aisle. 
Right. I actually find both sides funny when they get too extreme. So it kind of gives us double the jokes. I mean, there, there are some comedians that are either left or right, and they kind of go after one side or the other. But we really do try to get everybody because, you know, frankly, it gives us more material. Yes, indeed. Is there anybody that you were especially fond of in the last 30 years as, as, a, as a target? Because, I mean, you certainly had, you had Ronald Reagan to work with, the first Bush, Clinton, uh, right. uh, Bush Jr., and, and now Obama. Right, and of course, we can't be ungrateful to Bill Clinton because he gave us lots of material. Um, we were very upset to see Bill Clinton go, and although I have to say with Bill Clinton, comedians were almost redundant because he was so funny, and the things that happened were so funny. You almost didn't need the comedians, yeah. but when George Bush came in, then the, the issues were more serious, and uh, what we did was a little harder, but maybe more necessary, and of course, he was great because it was so fun to write for him with the malapropisms and the, the word, mangling the words and, you know, his self-defecating humor, as we like to call it. Is there anybody in Washington that uh, maybe is notorious for not having a sense of humor about what you guys do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, what Dick Cheney would have thought of our show. He, you know, he, he's known to shoot people in the face, so we, we really didn't take it near him. But, you know, vice presidents are always funny, no matter who they are. I mean, Dan Quayle was funny. Uh, Al Gore was, had that condescending kind of thing that was funny and of course joe biden has been uh, a goldmine for us too and and i guess you guys it's not just all songs you you work in some skits as well we do skits um we have a bit in our show that where we flip the letters around in spoonerisms it's called lurdy dies so we'll take a story it's you know anthony weiner was the perfect sex skin and we'll <laughs> take a story and he's you know say he tweeted he peated his tweenus is that how you say it you say it backwards and uh We'll say we don't believe in the American lay of wife and things like that. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm wondering uh, with, with with all these people, these luminaries around you, does anyone ever do they ever join you up on stage? Ah, yes, uh, we've had several presidents uh, join us up on stage. Really, several, many. Actually, George Bush Sr. invited us to the White House several times. He was a great sport, and he also invited Dana Carvey. He just he kind of just wanted to see what the comedians were doing about him. And uh, he actually got up on stage with us, and when we did, um, we did Al Gore's birthday party, his 48th birthday party, Bill Clinton was there laughing till his face was red in the front row. Um, so he was a good sport, too. So, Lenny, any, any uh, previews of what things you've you got in your crosshairs to write some future songs about here? <laughs> well, Is that premature? We, have, we, have, we actually have a new album out. It's called Fiscal Shades of Grey. Okay. <laughs> and it's a steamy, you know, kind of look at the fiscal crisis in Washington. <laughs> Yes, which is not easy to do for a comedian, you know? So we have a song on there, and it's also about uh, the international crisis. There's a song in there called Grease, um, the musical, which is to Grease, the musical, but it's uh, spelled differently, of course. And we have decided that even fiscal crises can be funny if your performers just get out there and look ridiculous. You've got so many songs to choose from here, uh, and, and, and of course you've written a number of these over the years. What, what's your personal favorite, or do you have one? Oh, my, my goodness, my personal favorite. <laughs> I, I guess one of the songs that, to me, just was the perfect pun and parody that we did about Kim Jong-il for many years was How Do You Solve a Problem Like Korea? <laughs> you know, that was like, it was a, it's an iconic song from a musical. It fit the subject perfectly, and we got to dress somebody up in the whole Kim Jong-il sunglasses and, and Don King wig. Excellent. I hope you guys will come back uh, sometime out to Sacramento in the, in, the, in the year to come, and when you do, we'll, we'll hopefully talk again. We'll come whenever we're invited. We'd love to. All right, Elena. All right, let us take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. 
This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more in our third segment. Years ago, in a lane far, far away, named North Korea, a child was born into a famous family. And there was great excitement throughout the land. Here is his story. A child was born and they gave his thrill. He was born to a famous man named Kim Jong-il. I love my son, though he wasn't planned. He was born with a silver nook in his hand. And when my son grew up, he said to me, I want to be like you, Dad. I want to be just like you. <laughs> a little brat since the cradle that is Kim Jong-un. Can I start a war? Sure, someday soon. When will I be president? I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, son. Gonna have a good time then. So I told my dad, now I know it will Be some pretty big sunglasses to fill If the missile fails, do just like your pa Call up tech support, they're in India When you see him and me, it is plain to see My boy is just like me This nut didn't fall far from the tree Eating cats is a fable that is just unfair Though I use lots of cats when I'm grooming my hair our family isn't stable That much is plain Our reputation we'll regain, Dad When, when Dennis, Dennis Rodman, Rodman says we're sane 